0: Well, welcome back to the middle of medicine. This is our 14th regular episode, though we did have our interlude last week uh, or two weeks ago, and I am one of your hosts, Peter.
1: And I'm your other
0: host, Aubrey. And today we have kind of a, just a sort of a brief little uh, grab bag of science and medicine that uh, I thought it would be fun for us to talk about. And the first thing I do want to talk about, and I know it's not exactly medicine, but I felt that it was appropriate for this podcast. And I want to get your thoughts, Aubrey, on the first images from the James Webb Space Telescope.
1: Oh my goodness. I printed them out and put them on my wall actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing.
1: Yep, they're right up there. <laughs> Cuz I thought they were so cool. They're oh, I watched so many Hank Green videos of him explaining different little things about it and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever.
0: So tell us why is it the coolest thing ever? Because I agree with you. I think that they're absolutely spectacular. I have uh, the Carina Nebula as the wallpaper for my 32 inch uh, work. I mean, you know, my big 32 inch gaming PC. Uh-huh. That's that's the wallpaper for that, and I don't that's see awesome. myself changing it anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but tell me about it. What what's so awesome about these images from James Webb?
1: Well, the 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 main one where there's like all of the little galaxies, and there's like the six point you know little stars and stuff. That one, I think, is the coolest and is so, such a big deal is because we're seeing, like, millions and millions and millions of years into the past. And there are little galaxies in it. I just watched a video on this. That's how I know. Um, where they, there's, like, a little galaxy and it kind of has, like, a streak around it as if it's curving. And it's that you can see that same galaxy around, like in different points in, t- in space time or whatever. So we're seeing into the past, like millions and millions of years in that picture. Mm-hmm.
0: So here's the crazy thing. And and this one is often referred to as like the dark field
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: picture in the same way that we got this picture from Hubble, where they pointed at a place in the night sky where we can't see anything mm-hmm. and said, Okay let's point it there, let's leave it pointed there for a while and let's see what we get. And what we got was incredible. Mm -hmm. With James Webb, not only do we get something that's incredible, but we get it in higher resolution, meaning Mm -hmm. we can see more things, and we get it much, much faster. Mm -hmm. So let's use the Carina Nebula one as an example. Um, The James Webb Space Telescope version of this is so much more higher resolution. It is so much more stunning. Stunning to the point that it doesn't look real. Like it looks like art, space art somebody would make if they wanted to just like knock your socks off. But it's real. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, it only took the JWST about like 12 hours to get the information to make that picture. Okay. And you can go and you can find a very cool picture from Hubble that took days and days to get. And it's much lower resolution, and we're not seeing nearly as much information. Yeah. So not only is the James Webb giving us more information, it's doing so at less time and it's doing it at higher resolution. So this dark field thing, we're literally seeing light that was emitted only about a hundred and twenty million years after the Big Bang. Mm. And we're estimating yeah. that the Big Bang was in like the high three to low four billion years ago. Yeah. And so we are literally looking like three and a half billion years into the past. And if that doesn't blow your mind, then I just don't think you should be listening to this podcast anymore (laughs) because clearly you're not interested in things like science and stuff. Yeah. No, No, I I don't really mean that, but I kind of do really mean that. I mean, it is, it is so incredible. And you look at that picture with thousands and thousands of galaxies and this gravitational lensing that you get, where we're seeing the light being diffracted and and altered because of the gravity of some of the objects in that image. And then you consider the fact that again, the way they're describing it is that that is a portion of the night sky that if you held a grain of sand on the tip of a needle Mm -hmm. at arm's length up towards the night sky, Everything That's on that picture—those <laughs> thousands of galaxies and those millions and tr- billions and maybe even more stars—all of that stuff is in an area the size of a grain of sand, up you know, in, in our night sky. I mean, yep. it is—it is super cool. I find the pictures amazing. I find the science behind it fascinating, mm-hmm. and at the same time, it is a little overwhelming. Yeah, to realize that in the cosmic scheme of the universe, Earth isn't even a grain of sand because a grain of sand has thousands, millions, billions of other planets in it. Yep. So we're like the grain of sand (laughs) on the grain of sand, on the grain of sand. (laughs) Yep. It's just sand all the way down, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yep, (laughs) exactly. But I, I did. I thought that those pictures were absolutely incredible. And, um, yeah, I I am so excited for the things that we are going to learn from the JWST. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, again, I understand it if this is something that people don't really find interesting, but I'm just gonna go ahead and say you need to still be paying attention mm-hmm. because this is like the history of space time we are learning yeah. about here. Yep. That's that's pretty big. Sorry. Pretty cool stuff. So that was the first thing I wanted to talk about. Anything else about the JWST that you wanted to mention? I mean, obviously, we're not an astronomy. We're not a space podcast. But <laughs> this is science. <laughs> and I think cool. anything that teaches us more about the universe, more about our place within it, I think is, uh, is awe-inspiring and something that needs to be talked about more.
1: Yeah, yeah, not much. I I have another picture that I put on my wall that's of the um cosmic cliffs, I think of the Carina uh-huh. Nebula. Um I saw a video explaining them and they just it just looks like a mountain range uh-huh. against like a sky, but it ugh, it's just so cool. It is just well, so cool.
0: When you realize that those mountain cliffs are about 7 light years tall.
1: Yeah, mhm.
0: That's pretty impressive. And and Mm -hmm. that picture of the Carina nebula, which if I turn over to my left, I'm actually looking at, like I say, right now on a nice big 32 inch monitor. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they call this like the star nursery. So that Mm -hmm. gas and everything that you're seeing, like stars are literally being born in this picture. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just stunning. It's something else. Yeah, no, it is. It is awesome. So next thing I wanted to talk about is I wanted to talk a little bit, and we've kind of talked about teaching in medicine on a previous episode, but you had an experience that you texted me about this week, and I want you to tell me about it. Um, Okay. And I want us to talk a little bit about, again, kind of how do we learn in medicine?
1: Yeah. So I was actually orienting another tech during this shift. Um, So I was doing some teaching myself. I've been doing lots of that lately, actually. Almost every shift lately I've been orienting a new tech, which is cool because sometimes it keeps me in check. It makes me, I'm like, am I actually doing this right? Because I literally have to teach this to another person. It kind of reminds me, kind of keeps me in check of of the things that I'm doing. But anyways. Good for you, and
0: I'm sorry because... (laughs) It just, it makes everything that much more difficult. Like, it's great. Teaching is great. We've talked about it, but... mm.
1: It's, I I really, I get in my flow of things during a shift, and I'm just kind of go, go, go at this point. So when I have to stop and explain every single thing that I'm doing, it's a bit draining. But it's okay. It's good stuff. I'm glad we're getting new texts on our floor. We need it. Um, So anyway, um, so this shift... I was really looking for new learning opportunities for this orient that I was orienting. And we were needing to cath one of our patients who we needed to do it for a clean catch urine sample because this patient had a suspected urinary tract infection. And so we were getting a urine sample to send it down to the lab. And we cath very... I guess I should explain what cathing is. You probably can explain it better than me. Just (laughs) let them know what what that even means. What does it mean to straight cath someone? When
0: (laughs) you you catheterize someone, uh, in the simplest forms, it just means you're putting a tube in somewhere. And so we refer to IVs that we place in people as IV catheters. Uh, Mm -hmm. But when we use the term catheterize, we're generally talking about a Foley catheter, uh, Mm -hmm. though there are even other types of urinary catheters. Now, but basically it's a tube that's going to go in through the urethra into the bladder to either drain the bladder because the patient is in a, a situation where for whatever reason they cannot drain their bladder on their own. Mm-hmm. Or in the case of what you're describing, when you're trying to rule out or really get a good sample for a urinary infection, a, a lot of times you want a catheterized specimen Because then that way you know that you're not getting contaminated, uh, a contaminated sample. And we all have bacteria on our skin and it can sometimes be difficult to obtain the urine specimen in such a way that you haven't gotten some bacteria in the sample. And one of the ways to do that is to kind of clean off the skin and then under, you know, normal kind of clean technique, put the catheter in the bladder to get that urine sample.
1: Yep. So that's what we were doing with this patient. And the techs help the nurses do the straight cathing. um, Quite often, we just kind of open things for them and just kind of help make sure they don't break sterile field because they wear sterile gloves during the procedure and stuff like that. And so we just kind of help them to help get things more smoothly. Um, And so I was helping one of our nurses said we needed to straight cast this straight cath this patient so I went turned to my Orient and I was like, Yeah, you get to see us straight cath and I kind of mentioned offhand, I was like, I've seen this so many times I could probably do it myself and the nurse was like, Do you want to? <laughs> and I was like, wait, no way And there was a charge nurse on that pod. She wasn't charging at this moment, but she was a charge nurse and she was like, Yeah, I mean you got it, Aubrey And I was like really (laughs) i got very excited (laughs) and so um she kind of helped me again since i've seen it so many times i know the process but um she kind of just helped me walk me through it but i still did everything myself i wore sterile gloves i cleaned with iodine i did did the whole shebang And my orient was helping learning the process of which things to open at what time and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. So it was like a teaching moment for both of us because my orient was learning how to be the tech and I was learning how to do the nurse's task, which is kind of cool. Um, So I did it and it went smoothly um, and there was no issues. We got the urine that we needed and... It was cool because, you know, I've seen it so many times that doing hands-on was... It was slightly different because there was a couple things here and there that the nurse kind of helped me say, so if it's getting stuck, you just got to keep pushing it up there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just stuff like that, little little techniques and things. Um, and it went smoothly and it was great. And I was super excited afterwards. So I texted you later and was like, I got to cat last night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I figured that as a urologist, you would appreciate that.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I think I told you that I was proud of you. So.
1: <laughs> so yeah, it was a really cool moment because they felt like I was capable enough to just do it. Because I've helped so many times that they didn't really have to tell me much. <laughs> they just kind of helped me to not break sterile field and touch something that I wasn't supposed to with my sterile gloves or something like that. Um, Sure. But other than that, yeah, it was pretty cool.
0: Very cool. Well, that's awesome. And I think it really highlights, you know, again, we talked about in medicine and and in not just medicine, but in so many things in life, you can learn from reading, you can learn from observing, Mm -hmm. but you learn the most from doing and then honestly teaching someone else. Yep, and exactly. so now that you've been orienting others, um, let's go back to our thoughts on teaching in medicine. Mm-hmm. Are you doing anything different or how has that cho- sort of affected your point of view uh, now that you've had the opportunity to teach somebody else what to do?
1: Um, I definitely, especially when I kind of was first orienting, I I realized I was kind of coddling the, the person I was orienting and I would explain a lot of things and tell them what to do when they know and it was better for me to kind of let them struggle for a minute to figure it out because they would remember it more um so as i've been orienting more often i kind of throw them in there (laughs) and tell them to just do your thing and i'm here as a resource for you if you need anything basically um And just doing all this teaching and watching what they focus on, like, what they're absorbing the most and what they tend to forget more often, kind of keeps me in check to see what I'm forgetting. Like, am I not making this more prominent in my practice as a tech, I guess? Um, Like, for example, we have... Uh, At the beginning of every shift, we do safety checks in every room to basically make sure we have appropriately sized resuscitation equipment, we make sure the oxygen flow meter is set up and working, the suction is set up and working, just emergency stuff. Um, So we do a safety check at the beginning of every shift, and we do high-touch cleaning at every shift. And I think that was a new thing with COVID, just because... Hospitals are gross and the rooms are gross. And so, and we touch a lot of things at the hospital during our shift. So we do high touch cleaning. So these are things that are the tech's task. And I realized I was kind of slacking on them sometimes because I wasn't making it very known to my Orient. Like this is something we need to do at the beginning of our shift. And then sometimes we would go the whole night without high touch cleaning one of the rooms because we just forgot. And so it kind of is keeping me in check because I'm remembering those little things that are, they may seem little, but they're important for us to do. There's a reason for them. That's why we do them. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, it's kind of keeping me in check of making sure I'm not forgetting those little things because I have to teach it so often. So I'll be like, oh yeah. So then this is another thing we do at the beginning of our shift let's make sure we remember that the next shift. If I'm not orienting, I'm like, I need to remember to do that because that's important. So, yeah.
0: Very cool. And you know, that's, it's so important. It's that doing it. And then it's the teaching somebody else and being willing to give that other person the opportunity. I have a new med student with me this week. And, um, interestingly, he just came off general surgery. Okay. But, like I had him help close and I literally had him put like three stitches in a small incision and they weren't even subcuticular, they weren't fancy, they were easy through one edge, through the other, and tie it sort of stitches. Interesting. And great googly moogly. I was like, How did you not learn this on general surgery? <laughs> you know? And, and so so I have to give this person that time. Yeah. To to try and do it, and I could tell they were super nervous. Um, and so my job is to step back and say, "Keep an eye on it. Make sure they're doing okay." But here you go. You've got you've got this. You can do this. So yep. uh, without giving someone that opportunity to actually do things, I just feel like we're doing them a huge disservice. And again, yeah, it absolutely. needs to be supervised, and it needs to be in an appropriate context and everything. But yeah, we, we've got to let people learn that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I definitely have been trying my best to kind of let let my orient struggle, like I was saying earlier. And if, especially with charting, because we have a lot of specifics with how we chart and what we chart every hour and what we chart every other hour. And so it's a lot of information. It really is. But after having them do it a couple times with my direction, I'll sit there and be quiet. And they're like, so do I do this? And I'm like, I don't know, do we? (laughs) And I'm sure it's annoying, but they'll remember it if they struggle for a minute and then they get it. So I kind of sit there and I'm like, is that patient lying supine right now? And they're like, oh, no, no, he's not. Yeah. And then I'm like, correct. There you go. And then we just keep going. Yeah, no, Um, that's
0: good. That's good. Well, that's awesome that you're getting that experience, that opportunity to teach somebody else and then kind of had that experience of, doing something that you've seen done. So now that you can kind of, you know, add that mark to your belt and there you go. Yeah. So a couple other real, just sort of brief things I wanted to talk about, you know, we've talked about before how out of touch administration is, especially when it comes to, um, to things like burnout and this, that, the other, I'm just going to throw this out there in case anyone who's even tangentially related to administration listens to us. Pizza, it doesn't do anything (laughs) donuts donuts don't mean shit stop trying to tell us that you care if your response is to give us pizza or donuts or even worse make us think that some institutional award is anything there is a quality award going around our hospital now, and it's parking for mm-hmm. a week in different departments where they've met the requirements that are part of why we got this quality award from, from the corporation that, that owns our hospital. And due to some experiences, I can tell you that there are members of the administration who actually think that glass award means anything. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you, to those of us who did the work, So that you guys got that award. We do not give a rat's ass about it. We care nothing for it. It does not mean anything. It means nothing to us. And your insistence that it should mean something to us just tells us how disgracefully out of touch you are with reality. Indeed. Thank you. I get off my soapbox now. (laughs) I could go on so much longer, but I won't. But again... Pizza, donuts, no, awards, that kind of stuff coming from administration means nothing. Now, there are a couple awards at our hospital that are given because you were nominated by a coworker or maybe even a patient, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Those mean those are awesome. Those mean something because these are these are my peers recognizing. Now, Mm -hmm. when you come to give me that award and act like you had anything to do with it, bugger (laughs) off. You didn't, and I don't want you there. But you oh, know, man. it just—they mm, just, don't mean anything. And, and again, again, I feel like I feel like you know that scene from Mean Girls. Stop trying to make this happen. It's never going to happen. <laughs> Stop trying to make yeah. us think you care. It's never going to happen.
1: It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. I won't lie though. When they occasionally they'll get us. Like dinner or something, they'll like get us Cafe Rio for a night shift. That that's pretty nice. I won't lie, because they get us, they have us all order our our own orders, and then they just get it for us. And during a night shift, sometimes that means everything to me.
0: <laughs> that's fair, but that's not uh, the extent of it. <laughs> you yeah, know, like I say, it's it it's just this whole thing that went down with this award. I was just, I I was I was painfully reminded. How clueless administration is. And they just don't understand what matters and what doesn't matter. And yeah. that's too bad. That is too so, bad.
1: That's all we can say about that. <laughs> final
0: topic to wrap up before we end up, re- we, we stop recording here. Cause we're, we're in addition to this being, you know, look, it was just like the little thing I released previously, the, Eden and I missed a week because of vacation and summer and time. And so this one's a little shorter because of time as well, but, uh, and this is as much for you, Aubrey, as for anyone who may be listening.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's a time, you know, what is it? There's the bird song. That's an old song. You don't know who the birds are. I'm sure. I There's a not. song. I'm pretty sure it was the birds. Uh, it was an old sixties song and it's quoting from the Bible, you know, and, 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 it's, it's the whole idea that everything has a time and a season. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. There is a time to freak out and there is a time to not. And the time to not freak out is when things go wrong during surgery. Correct. You can feel like you're freaking out <laughs> and you might be you freaking cannot. out a little bit inside, <laughs> but you need to not freak out. So I was taking out a kidney this week for cancer and uh, I was thinking it would be a relative chip shot because this patient had never had any previous abdominal surgery. And the way I do these laparoscopically is I do what's called a hand assist. So I'm going to need to make an incision big enough to get the kidney out at the end of the procedure. So I make that incision at the beginning and put a gel port in so that then I'm doing the procedure with one hand inside their belly The other hand using an instrument outside through the laparoscopic port, and then my assistant is using the camera showing me things. And I don't know if this was just a reaction to the guy's cancer or what, but it was extremely stuck in there. And so a ton of scar tissue, very difficult getting the colon out of the way so that I could get to the kidney. And then I was coming up above the kidney trying to get rid of some attachments between the spleen and, and the, the, the fascia around the kidney because we needed to make sure we were taking the adrenal gland as well in this particular case. And as I'm sitting here trying to get through scar tissue, it looked like scar tissue, it felt like scar tissue, and it was mostly scar tissue, but no, there was a pretty big vein in the middle of it. And so oh, all dear. of a sudden blood just started spraying. Oh dear. Um, good news is I had my hand inside. So yeah. I just leaned, grabbed it, <laughs> and pushed my hand up as far as I could go into this guy's belly, this this patient's belly, and then just pinched it. Just put my hand on, just squeezed the spleen and squeezed this vein that was in this massive scar tissue, squeezed it shut. Uh-huh. And then I quietly dropped the f bomb to myself,
1: <laughs> yeah, as you do,
0: <laughs> as one does. <laughs> and then I sat there for a minute, and I didn't freak out, and I didn't yell, and I didn't go like, "Ah, oh, what are we gonna do?" I just. I'm like, okay, my hand's in there. I've stopped the bleeding right now. Now I need to take a few deep breaths and think about how am I going to fix this? How am I going to stop the bleeding? Uh-huh. And what do I need? What tools do I need and do I have them? And I didn't have all the tools that I needed. So I was like, okay, let's give me this and then let's get a bigger port for to put in down here and then let's do this. And you know, there was an exciting little moment where I had to have the tech pull out one of the laparoscopic ports that was a small five millimeter one so that I could put in a large 10 millimeter one that would allow the bigger clip instrument to go through. I had to let go of the spleen really fast while I did that. So oh. I've got the one port in my right hand. I've got the spleen in my left hand and I'm like, okay, three, two, one. And then they pulled go. out the port and I pushed the port into the skin, then let go of the spleen, put my hand underneath, lift it up so that I could put the port all the way in. And then hurried and reached up, grabbed the spleen, then went in with some clips and, you know, found the, the, the vessel and got a few different clips on it and stopped bleeding. And the patient did great and didn't have any problems. Went home the next morning just as expected and everything went smooth.
1: Very nice.
0: But, and again, I've seen this a lot. When the surgeon freaks out, everybody else freaks out.
1: Right. You're supposed to be the big dog. You're supposed to be the one who knows everything. So if you don't, everyone else kind of starts to panic.
0: Yeah. And and the truth of the matter is, is it's okay to need to think about what you're going to do next. Yeah. But it kind of comes back to we do these things over and over and over again so that we're not having to spend mental energy on the usual so that when the unusual occurs, we've got kind of free you know, brain CPU cycles available that we can apply to that problem. Yeah. And so, you know, th- there's going to be complications during surgery. Things don't always go the way we want them to. Yeah. Everybody is different. You know, I had no idea. This guy had so much scar tissue. You couldn't tell that from looking at his CT scans or anything. You're never going to know that until all of a sudden you're in there trying to do your job. But we've just got to make sure that we stay calm that we become leaders, that we think, again, take that minute to think. I knew that the patient was safe because I had the bleeding controlled with my hand. I might've had to shove my hand far enough in that once this was all done, I had to pull my hand out of the gel port. And I'm like, guys, I literally cannot feel my fingers right now. So give me about five minutes so I can get the feeling back in my fingers and then we can continue. But only after we knew the bleeding was stopped and everything was good. Uh, But, you know, we we need to be able to take that time to think. We need to be thinking about possibilities beforehand so we're ready for them. Or so that when we do run into a situation, we've already got a few thoughts of, okay, let's do this and get this and get this and get this so that we can make sure we solve the problem. Yeah. That was my kind of story of the past week or so from from work.
1: Well, that is exciting. And (laughs) did you have to like... Like how far, like, were you, like lengthwise of your hand? Like how far did you have to stick your arm in? Oh, jeez. At He's least showing to about my almost forearm. to his elbow. <laughs> a Little of my
0: forearm, almost a little bit beyond. Yeah, it, closer to my elbow than my wrist. And oh. I hadn't quite made the incision in the fascia big enough for my kind of, you know, my meaty arm to make it in quite that far. So that's why I was yeah. losing. That's why I was losing feeling.
1: Yeah, that is fair. Kind of cutting off circulation a little bit. (laughs) A little bit. A little tight. But we got it done. That is exciting.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that's a good place for us to wrap it up today. We'll be back in another two weeks with another topic for you. Uh, Aubrey, it's always good to talk to you. And I know that you're uh, gearing up to finish up summer semester. Is that correct?
1: Yep. Finals this week. Three. Okay. Well, three of them.
0: <laughs> good luck with that. I am, up my, I am finishing up my first of three consecutive weeks of call, so I still have a little bit to slog through. Ooh. Unfortunately, I, mm. I kind of did this to myself. I didn't realize I was doing that when I scheduled my days in August because I hadn't looked at the fact that I had the whole last week of July when I picked the first two weeks of August. Didn't realize what I was doing, but hey, mm. it's okay. We'll survive. So stuff happens. <laughs> okay. Well, we again appreciate everybody who's taking time to listen, who's taking time to share. We would love to get any feedback, feedback at themiddleofmedicine.com. Also, please feel free to uh, subscribe if you haven't, share with somebody else. And if you do have a second, please leave a star rating and a review on iTunes. Uh, that's probably the number one way to make podcasts more visible is if people will, uh, make sure that they're leaving comments and reviews. And, uh, that also can give us some feedback of things we can do better if you have any thoughts. So until yeah. next time, thanks everybody. Thanks.